Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. We are wherever you find great podcasts content. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's still weeping from a beautiful rendition of Como La Flor, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I'm good, man. I I had a wonderful weekend celebrating Mario. I know he listens to the show every week. Uh, Bachelor party with you, in fact, in person, uh, in the mountains of Rio Doso. And... uh, yeah, got back and we are recording on a Tuesday night as there was some travel and also some free Casey Musgrave tickets. Um, the the wonderful, wonderful Casey Musgrave who crushed a Selena rendition on the 24th anniversary of Selena's last concert performed at the Houston Rodeo. Tears were had. It was great, man. How are you? I'm good. So, yeah. Traveling for 18 hours in two days, something that I'll probably never do again. Uh, driving with a toddler is so, so much fun. Uh, but we survived and we're back. But Texas basketball may not survive. So we've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> Men's basketball and women's basketball had a tough, tough, tough weekend. we got some baseball to talk about who had pretty good weekend. And some moves by the Texas football staff. And then obviously we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. And Kyle, I, I don't, I'm running out of ways to introduce a segment in which we talk about how we're disappointed with Texas basketball. I'm running out of ways to say it, but we're disappointed by Texas basketball. So the team announced late last week that uh, guard Kerwin Roach, the second would be suspended indefinitely for his third violation of team rules. Uh, he missed the first game of the regular season and two preseason exhibitions and then some games last year as well due to another undisclosed violation of team rules. Uh, and then again, he's now missing an indefinite number of games with four left in the regular season. So Texas comes out on Saturday and it wasn't pretty to start. They were outscored uh, 42 to 28 in the first half, managed to outscore OU 39 to 27 in the second half. But if you're doing math, that's still a two point deficit and Texas fell 69 to 67 and the wheels seem to be coming off toward the end of the year, Kyle. I don't know how else to to assess the state of the of the uh, of the basketball team, other than the wheels are starting to come off. Well, it's a nice um, it's a nice group of gentlemen for Jackson Hayes to spend his uh, to spend his college year with. Uh, if there's a bright spot besides free throw shooting, um, it it is it is Jackson. Um, you know, he's he's putting up. Good numbers, playing good defense, doing all the things right. Um, he kind of himself kick-started that comeback a little bit. Um, is, is started to get the ball in the, to him in the post. Um, you know, I, 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 it's tough, man. The free throws, like I said, were, were, were well. The second-half offense, honestly, they, they ran the pick-and-roll effectively. It makes you wonder why they can't run the pick-and-roll and, and hit the open perimeter shooter. Um, and not turn the ball over and just do those like three things, um, and and beat teams like it. it I don't know when they when things are in harmony for this team. It's very frustrating to say why don't you just do that 
always. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Like I said, you can, you can call it a system thing. Why isn't Shaka pressing when they tried to press? It didn't look good. I mean, you can call it a motivation thing or guys being bought into the program, like you said, with Roach, but it's just, it's hard to cover. It's hard to cheer for. Uh, I assume it must be difficult to coach uh, a team that's this utterly erratic. And I think the thing for me is I just don't understand why they can't get up for road games. Like, that's the thing. Of eight road games, they're two and six. Yeah. Like, that for me does not bode well for the end of the season because Texas is on the road for quite a bit these last few weeks. Yeah. And the Big 12 tournament, neutral site, two and one, where so we don't have a big enough sample size to, to kind of make a guess there. But they haven't really done well on the road. They haven't. There's no two ways around that. And so the fact of the matter is, with two of their four remaining games away from Austin, Texas could go two and two over the end of the conference schedule. Now, if they do go two and two, they'll finish slightly above 500 at 17 and 14, which is not a great mark, uh, but they'll also finish 500 in conference play. So like, I don't, what does this team do with four games left, two of which are on the road and really needing to probably go three and one in those games to even call this season salvageable. Yeah. I mean, again, it really depends on what we call the, the metric for success where we put that benchmark at and, and again, fans having outsized expectations. I don't know what the administration's expectations are because a lot of, you know, what basket you're, you're shooting at, um, you know, will determine how you determine success for this team. If it's making the tournament, if that is our, our bar our metric for success, then two and two might get you there. Um, the big 12 is very good this year. You know, they, they could easily get six, seven, um, you could even talk me into a case for eight, uh, teams in the tournament this year. I don't know that they necessarily will. Um, but, uh, you know, a 17 win season with a, even if they do finish above 500 and with the wins they have, it's going to be hard to, to keep them out as at least a bubble team. I've seen, you know, if they just kind of win home games and lose road games, some predictions that they could be around a seven or eight seed. Um, I don't know. Like it's a team that scares, should scare, other teams in a tournament because you know what they can be, but it also should be a team that any team feels like they could beat if the wrong Texas shows up. So, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit difficult because I don't know what that metric for success is. I don't know how you say this is a good season. Is a good season, you know, developing guys where they are better uh, at the end of the season than they were at the beginning? Yeah, there's a couple of those guys, and, and there's a couple guys who show it some nights and not others. Um, if, if that's the metric, I don't know if this has been ultimately a successful season. We've seen, obviously, like I said, with, with each week, Jackson Haynes, Hayes, excuse me, is kind of the one guy who uh, who seems to be improving and, and, and you know, getting ready for the next level. Um, but as a team, again, we're, we, we're having the same conversation we've had. This is Groundhog's Day, uh, Shaka Smart version of, you know, why they are so up and down, why home versus road splits, why you know, on versus off, half versus half, like in, like in this game, you know, a Jekyll and Hyde performance. Uh, to me, it's hard to say that's a successful season unless they have some magical Cinderella run in the Big 12 slash NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I think if they win the home games, they will beat Iowa State, who they are still in the conference hunt because the conference hunt is super jam-packed at mm. the top. Texas has nothing to say about that uh, other than possibly games against Iowa State and Tech. But um, 
So wins in again at home against Iowa State would look really good on a resume, but again, what is the what is the measuring stick? And I do think that you know what are fair expectations for Texas basketball, and it's hard because Texas isn't a basketball school. Texas is. We joke about it all the time that Texas is all sorts of other sports schools, but Texas is a football school. It is, and it is what it is. So it's it's hard for football size expectations to be placed on a basketball team that is in a lot of ways undersupported. And so it's it, it it's hard for me to identify like what are fair expectations for Shaka Smart this year, especially with all of the things that he's had to deal with as a coach. Again, losing your star player a year ago never really getting him back. And then your other star player, not really stepping into a role as a senior leader, evidenced by the fact that he's now having to have his second suspension of the year for violating team rules, whatever that may be. So like, is that a coaching thing? Probably a little bit with, with the Snoop situation, but with some other things, it's, it's not. So like, I don't know where, where to draw that line. Yeah. And there are, I mean, there are tangible things that you can question about the overall coaching. Like, I mean, yeah, it, getting a suspension for one of your critical minutes absorbers creates rotation issues at this point in the season that you don't want to have. You know, getting uh, Liddell played, you know, pretty early in the game. You you had some some interesting big man combos. You had Royce Ham um, with Eli, which is you know really has been two of your later on the bench guys uh, this year. I mean, it, it's. It creates an interesting vacuum, and I'm not here to say that I know what Shaka could have done better and or worse, but, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of people have asked for this, the, the press, and because they haven't been a press team, and he's explained multiple times why, um, when they try to kind of bring that out of the bag, it didn't look particularly successful, you know? So it's there is no identity. I'll say that with this team. They, they you know, can be a different team each night, and, and I think part of that is that, Maybe they, at the beginning of the season when they drew it up, they didn't expect to have, you know, the lottery-type big uh, that they do, and they, they want to feature and focus on him. But, you know, it's just it's it's just interesting. Like I said, I would love to be surprised. I would love to look back on this season in a couple years and say, can you believe the run they made right at the end? Um, you know, ended up coming in second in the Big 12 tournament and, and going three rounds into the, you know, into the NCAA tournament you know who knows but uh it's just not seeming likely to me for the lack of cohesion that you're seeing right now yeah and the fact that we're still having identity conversations with four games left in the regular season right is a bad sign so we keep alluding to these last four games uh texas is going to travel to waco so not too far up i-35 uh to take on the baylor bears on espn2 on wednesday the day you're probably listening to this podcast then they will travel back south and host Iowa State on Saturday. Again, that will be on ESPN. The Deuce. Big Monday game against Texas Tech. The day that we'll be recording probably our next podcast. So that one will be a late night for us. And TCU on March the 9th to close out the regular season again. Texas needs to go 2-2 two and two over the next four games to come out of conference play 9-9. Nine and nine, And with a winning regular season record, which is just something that, again, should we have to say, should we not have to say, I don't know what expectations should be for this team. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, just to, to put a final cap in it, I hope in those last four games that they're not close, whichever way it goes, because Texas is 3-5 and five, uh, after the OU game and games decided by three points or less. They're 
12, um, excuse me, the five Big 12 uh, road defeats have come by an average of three points. Uh, out of all of their Big 12 losses, an average of four points. I mean, it's just close games are tough, and they're and they're not falling in UT's favor. So they just need to come out and beat people by 30. It's a pretty simple equation. You know who else we said that about? A Tom Herman football team uh, this time uh, last year. So maybe next year we're setting up for a big run and to beat some big-name schools. So moving on to the women's basketball team, it was a tough outing for them as well. So the Baylor Bears decided to just kind of show that they're legitimately the class of not just the Big 12, but the nation and dismantled Texas 64 to 35 in just dominating fashion. The uh, lady shot just 20% from the floor, hitting just 15 shots and four quarters of basketball. Baylor dominated down low as they have for what feels like 45 or 50 years ever since Kim Mulkey uh, started there at the school. Uh, the ladies uh, are number 18 right now in the polls. The new polls haven't come out, but Baylor was the unanimous number one team. They're probably a shoe in for a national champion. So it's, it's kind of hard to draw conclusions about Texas other than, well, they're not as good as the team that's probably going to take home the championship this year. Yeah. I mean, uh... Kim Mulkey came to Baylor from Louisiana Tech, but I mean, we really know she came from Mississippi, the Delta area, where she, like like Robert Johnson, made a deal with the devil, traded her soul for the ability to coach really good basketball. At the crossroads. <laughs> uh, for the ability to coach really good basketball teams, you know, hats off. She's the worst, but hats off to her because they're good, um, real good. Um, it's hard not to overreact. Again, you said Baylor had 36 points in the paint. UT had 35 points in the game. Um, it, it, <laughs> it's it, it was a it, as sound a whooping as as UT has had. In fact, I have a a quick quiz for you, Gerald. This is the second lowest point total, that being 35, uh, that the UT women's basketball team has ever mustered. Do you know the absolute uh, lowest? The lowest of the low. I'll take. Uh, either the the year or the opponent, um, and with the year, I'll give you a plus or minus two. Well, this would require me to know when women's basketball first came to the University of Texas, which That's I sadly fair. do not know. That's fair. Um, so I'm going to say 12 points as the low water mark for the women's basketball team. Wow. I, I have no clue. Zero frame of reference whatsoever. I mean, that was tough. I did put this one in a little cold. It, it is not quite 12. Um, it, it is It is 31 is the lowest that they scored. And surprisingly, I, I, this, is, this is maybe the more surprising – Part of 76 um, when it happened. Abilene Christian won uh, 67 to 31 over the Longhorns in March of 1976, but uh, it would not have would not have gotten that one with probably 150 guesses. So um, you know another another um, Christian school in Texas. So let's just you know let's just kick them out of the Big 12 or something. <laughs> just to say this, right? Like they're number 18. If they come out and, and people overreact, they could fall out of the polls because they were got their butt kicked. But they have a body of work that says they're one of the 20 best teams in the country, and they, you know, they could 
they're not going to win a national championship with Baylor in their way as, as well as others, but they could, if they get everything going, you know, be one of the best 10 and, and kind of make a pretty good tournament run. We'll just have to see uh, how coach Aston gets them, gets them uh, firing towards, towards the end final stretch. Yeah. I'm interested to figure out again, where, where Texas falls because I mean, it, and there's no shame in saying you're not as good as Baylor basketball. There's no shame in that, at least this year, especially with the injuries and kind of the weirdness that's happened this season. So I would love to see what this game looks like if, you know, Texas is fully, fully what, what they could and should be. Right. Um, so with two games left, they've got senior day against Iowa State and on the road against TCU. Now, this is an if at this point. If Texas does win out, they are likely to be the number two seed in the Big 12 mm-hmm. tournament facing, uh, again, the, a shot to they're obviously in the tournament, but but improve their seating for the NCAA tournament, which would be good to see at, again for a season that, with the early season injuries, you could have kind of written off as, you know, a lost cause. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think we just talked about men's basketball, so maybe pessimism is pervasive. But uh, uh, you know, I don't think this season is is a lost cause. I don't think it's over at all. I think you know, there's there's growth to be had. Uh, from it, a scrappiness coming, overcoming some odds. You know, they equally though had some teams that they should have beat that they didn't this year. And then you know, uh, the, like against Baylor, some teams that they probably shouldn't have beat and definitely didn't. Um, so it'll just be curious to see how those matchups. I think the matchups will will dictate a lot of uh, how far they do in the the two postseason tournaments. So moving on to baseball, number twenty two Texas baseball. They move up one spot after a six and two start. But according to Baseball America, they're still number 19, so take that as you may. They had a good run since we last talked. Uh, so last Tuesday, they absolutely dominated Rice 11-4, and then came with a 3-1 to series win over Purdue. Friday, 7-2. Saturday, in the first game, 13-6. to Take that. The second game with a doubleheader, apparently they used up all of their runs in the first game, lost zero to four or four to zero, depending on which side of the thing you're on. And then they came away with another 13 to six win on Sunday. So Texas was fairly dominant in, in these last five games. And again, they started the season six and two, but looming on the horizon is a massive weekend series against the undefeated number two team in the nation. LSU that kicks off a murderer's row of March with fifth, games, 13 of which are against teams currently ranked in the top 20 of Baseball America's rankings, which good golly, Miss Molly, that is really going to show you what this team was made of by the end of the month. Yeah, I mean, they play the number two team followed by the number 11 team followed by the number three team, Um, you know, plus 16 and 18 for good measure. That's that's fantastically tough. Um, yeah, no, I think they'll probably uh, handle, hopefully, UTSA uh, in this week kind of in advance of LSU, which is going to be the big, big one. Um, I believe they should uh, just end it, actually, a few minutes ago when we're recording this. Uh, just posted uh, just a few minutes ago when we're recording this on Tuesday night. They finished with a 10-3 to uh, victory over Sam Houston, so they will be uh, 7-2, hopefully 8-2 and when LSU uh, comes this weekend. So LSU is a lot of people's pick for the, the national champion, you know, to, to kind of, if Vanderbilt 
uh, is also very good. But they've lost the game. LSU's undefeated. Um, they could be the best team in the country right now. Um, they have arms. They have bats. They kind of have it all. Uh, Texas has looked good. I mean, they've looked very good. Uh, I think that number next to their name, you know, has a potential to 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 winnow quite low if they hold their own against the the titans they have coming up um but i mean they're they're swinging the bats well they're 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 putting up uh, as we kind of thought they would um putting up some good runs uh, a lot of good hit numbers good slugging percentage across kind of their and it's not just concentrated we thought maybe this would be just a, a zach zubia show but this has really been you know michael mccann has been fantastic both at the plate and behind the plate uh dj petrinsky um austin todd i mean just you're getting bats from from all over like i said the presidents uh kennedy reagan and ford um i mean you're uh you're seeing you're seeing just like a a well-rounded team you're also seeing some arms that you know it's going to be a little up and down it'll probably be well into you know half midway in the season before we see what we know is our kind of uh our our go to four or five uh pitchers who can go long innings and and what our kind of rotation looks like just because there are so many young arms but i mean you have a guy like the fantastically named coy um cobb which is just such a baseball name is a freshman who threw seven shutout innings in his second start didn't look fantastic in his first but came in his second at the dish and this week is the big 12 co-newcomer of the week so you're gonna see some freshmen start to kind of click that light bulb to go on it just uh it just is a little bit frightening that they're gonna have to do that against some of the best players in the country you would have liked to get that maybe at the end of the season but it worked out for us last year so i mean this is fun if you like texas baseball this is what you want you want to be playing the best teams it it makes it must see tv so uh you have a good a good month of march to watch some really really good baseball coming up and i think it'll be like we saw last year where no stretch of conference play is going to be as tough as this non-conference schedule and maybe that's by design because again there's going to be no teams again other than tech and tcu in the conference that are as dominant as again lsu stanford arkansas so you've got two teams that are in the top 20 that texas will play as part of this stretch but lsu stanford arkansas like these are teams that are going to show you for the rest of the big 12 for the other seven teams you're going to play what are you made of and so i think that's going to be an interesting way to uh, kind of test the metal of a team that needs to have its metal tested early and often Oh, for sure. And I mean, I mean, the the Big 12 is, is good, too. I mean, Oklahoma State and Baylor both have the makings to, to keep the season interesting. But yeah, I think for sure that they will never have a, a series, you know, a month of series where each um, is as difficult or more difficult than the last and you get no real reprieve. Um, hopefully they take all the Tuesday games and, and you know, bolster the, the win total where they can get it and try to steal, you know, uh, two or three of these series wins. I don't think you're going to see a lot of series sweeps here um, just because these are all real good teams and to beat them three times in a row is really saying something. But, hey, um, you know, crazier things have happened. And, and if they want to gel early, I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, but I do think just with the, the youth, especially in the bullpen, that uh, we might see a couple lumps along the way, but it's all, all in Coach Pierce's plan. And, again, I think this has the recipe of a, just like last year, a team that struggles early because of the strength of schedule – and then they get real hot late and make a push for a conference championship and a national championship. And hopefully you can get another couple of big wins against AM in the process. Take that L. So Texas will continue its season against UTSA 
on Wednesday, again, the day you're listening to this podcast, hopefully improving to 8-2 and two before this crazy run of 15 games coming up. So Texas basketball made some moves this weekend. They officially confirmed five hires that are former coaches of one level or another, again, taking a page out of the Nick Saban coach rehabilitation book. So Andre Coleman, former Kansas State offensive coordinator, was a part of the Bill Snyder retirement that is needed a home. A pair of fedoras, like this was a neckbeard convention, Larry, former head coach, and Dylan, his son, uh, are (laughs) joining the staff. And then Paul Williams, who was a uh, defensive backs coach, at Houston. So still no announcement of David Beatty, even though he was one of the earliest in this little rumor mill going on. A lot of offensive guys coming through. Because Dylan Fedora, even though he was a, the special teams quality control coach, played wide receiver and presumably on an offensive path. So again, Coleman, Fedora, Fedora, offensive guys. So what what does that mean for what Texas is trying to do staff wise, and what do they bring to the table? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting, right? Andre Coleman is is uh, comes from a Kansas State, from a Bill Snyder lineage. I think he can bring things to the team, but I think he can also bring a corporate knowledge of of stopping quarterbacks who run, which has been a bane of Texas' existence for years. Um, you know, just a little insight. You know, Bill Snyder knows exactly how to tinker with that. You know, basically pieces of string and four wheels that he had of a program that he made run for 50 years, you know, on, on, I'm going to assume some kind of recomposted vegetable oil, but you know, it just, there's some magic in there. And so to, to, to get it to work that well, you have to have a deep understanding. So Coleman, a guy who came up all the way through the school of Bill Snyder can offer a lot to say, you know, a, this is how you stop Kansas state, but B this is, you know, this is how you stop one of those offenses and, and, and C, Hey, maybe this is how you really add another wrinkle to the Ellinger um, or Roshan Johnson. If he's in taking some snaps, um, this is how you add another wrinkle to the quarterback running game. Cause we, we do know that the, you know, the running back uh, depth chart is a little bit thin with true running backs, a lot of talent who can take snaps, um, but getting creative with, with the running game with, you know, not just pure lineup in the I formation, like it's 1987 and hand off to a tailback is, is, you know, something that, that I'll always take. And in the same way, Larry Fedora and, and of course, Dylan in that tree is a guy who understands, you know, the, the spread power um, that, you know, Herb Hand, uh, you know, specialized in and, and brought a lot of that, uh, a lot of that knowledge and steel to the offensive line. I think you bring Larry Fedora. So you just bring guys who've, who've done it and bring different perspectives and who are smart and can add wrinkles. And that's, you know, that's how you that's your recipe for success that's that's where texas should be and and texas should be a place that coaches of that caliber um want to go and and don't necessarily have to stay a long time but come share your insights and say hey you've got a little texas on you and that that sentence is a good thing yeah and i think and maybe i'm reading too much into this but the next piece of thing we have in the Rundown is that Stan Drayton, Derek Werheim, Drew Maringer, Oscar Giles, Washington, Nivar, Meekins, they all signed one-year contracts. And Tom Herman says that's to avoid complacency. It's also possibly because uh, he knows some of these guys are going to be going on to bigger and better things at some point. And not much better, bigger than Texas, and really not much better than Texas, but going from a wide receivers coach to an offensive coordinator, 
that's a bigger position. It is what it is. So yeah. this could also be, hey, these guys are available. And some of them, Coleman, Dylan Fedora, Paul Williams, you know, any of these guys could potentially be plug and play guys as a coordinator next year. They're already in the system. They're already on campus. And I'm not saying that that there's some grand conspiracy theory and Tom is mensa all over everything. But there is something to be said about having more smart people in the room, especially when you could lose some of your other smart people. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think that's a great point. I, I don't know that I fear as much that, you know, we're going to lose all of them or they're either going to get canned or whatever. But, I mean, Herman has said since the day he started here that his goal is for all of his coaches to become head coaches and, and you know, for his tree to, to have many limbs. So, I, I, I mean, I understand that that thinking for sure. Um, I, I don't see, you know, an exodus of, of mass scale out of that group that we just talked about actually happening in reality. I mean, of course, we, we worry every year um, that someone is going to, you know, take take a shot at Orlando. Um, I mean, we have some some unbelievable recruiters on that that any staff would covet. Um, you know, and, and, and these guys, like you, like you said, they, they you know, are, are smart. These are good coaches. They, even if it is a small school, you could see um, a guy who's a receivers coach at a, at a school like Texas all of a sudden getting a shot at a small school just to take a big, big leap. You know, either whether it's offensive coordinator or even, uh, you know, a small college head coach. So um, the possibility is always out there. And, and I think it isn't a foregone conclusion that an analyst automatically gets that spot and gets that promotion. Um, I think they might still go outside to interview to fill those. But, you know, it, certainly you know doesn't hurt to have quality in-house and don't hear me saying i fear these guys leaving i am so happy that texas is back in a position where its coordinators are coveted yeah that to me is the sign of success because you know every two years bama basically turns over its entire coaching staff right every two years that's going to start being the case at clemson and georgia here pretty quickly so that to me is a sign of success. And so I'm fine with these guys going on to bigger and better things because they've been successful at Texas. That's, that's all I'm wanting from this. And so I love it. I absolutely love that, that that is something that now we can have a conversation about. Yeah. I mean, Texas didn't hire anyone named Jones, but really this was about the Joneses. So we're going to do a new thing this week. Something that Kyle and I are going to call, this is my name that we haven't workshopped at all. The state of the 40. So much like you get the state of the state and the state of the union, uh, rather than us trying to wax poetic about tennis or golf, um, we're just going to give you a brief rundown of everything that else that's going on on the 40 acres. So starting men's tennis, they're ranked number three. They came away with a seven to one win over incarnate word on the ladies side, a six, one win over rice cements them at number nine in the nation. Men's golf, number 12 women's golf, number three back to back sugar bowl champions. And by back to back, I mean football and then women's golf. Cause that's the only way you can truly measure success. Uh, men's swimming and diving, slumming it a little bit at number four in the nation, slumming it up a little bit. Women's swimming and diving at number two. Softball, absolutely murdering it. 12-1 with six straight wins. They're number nine in the nation. Uh, they've yet to play a, a true road game, which is fun to talk about. I do want to talk about, in fact, it's not a road game. It's a team traveling, but... 
Uh, I didn't know I had another trivia. I couldn't decide which one I want to give you both. They're playing a team in a few days that um, the, the university is called Longwood, which I checked, and it is real. Um, so first I'm going to ask you, Gerald, do you know what the mascot of the Long Fighting Longwoods is? The Archers. That's actually unbelievably close. It's the Lancers. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, that's I'm actually wildly impressed. Um, they, their their logo though doesn't have a man; it's a horse that's actually carrying a lance, um, which I think is very cool. Uh, but do you know where uh, this one? I will give you all of the money in my wallet if you even get this the the region right. Would you know where Longwood Lancers ply their trade? Palo Alto, California. They are in a place again. I had to check that this is real. Called Farmville. Virginia, a population oh, wow. of 8,216. 8, I was thinking Redwoods. Um, I was thinking Redwoods. <laughs> they, but there is a, a notable fact, because I just like trivia. Um, <laughs> I think, I don't know if he's an Hall of Famer, but notable NBA player of, of some career. Jerome Kersey played basketball. He is a Longwood Lancer, only only person I can find that I recognize in their <laughs> alumni. Uh, but nonetheless, softball, they uh, have played some good ones, so they get to now play the ones that you have to Google, and they are tearing it up. Uh, the White Mike era is going well. First and only Jerome Kersey reference that will ever happen on this podcast. Uh, women's indoor track finished up their season as the Big 12 champions for the fifth time in six years now they set their sights on the indoor national championships on march 8th in birmingham alabama the men finished fifth in the big 12 indoor championships but a name that we've talked about before one john burt set a personal record in the 80 meter hurdles which was also good enough to win the conference championship so that's the state of the 40 we'll bring that to you semi-regularly to get you up to date on all the things that are not stuff that Kyle and I feel comfortable talking about on a podcast, to be completely honest with you. One one thing that I do feel comfortable saying is that I, I've for a long time said in life that I wish I could do anything as well as Anthony Hamilton sings. I also wish I could do anything at any point in my life as well as John Burt runs fast and jumps over things because that dude is real good at that. For sure. Now if Texas quarterbacks two in a row can figure out how to not overthrow a literal champion track star. That would be really <laughs> helpful for the football prospects. But now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, big Bertha. And we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Oh, this week I'm, I'm, I'm taking it, you know, new school with a little touch of the old, which is a very Kyle Carpenter thing. And, and honoring, you know, again, we, we talked about swimming and diving just before this. I think UT is a swimming and diving and women's sports school. But let's not forget that this podcast and the University of Texas also specializes in the specialists. So obviously this is, you know, a Michael Dixon uh, fan account podcast. And also we ride hard for the greatest place kicker in NFL history, Justin Tucker. Um, Justin Tucker happens to play for the Baltimore Ravens, who uh, in a roundabout way is my my team of choice. And the, the old school piece of this is Justin Tucker as a representative of, of the Ravens teamed up with Campbell's Chunky Soup, which immediately sent me down a YouTube of Donovan F. F. McNabb's mom from the early 2000s. But they said that they would donate um, cans, 500 cans of soup, for each field goal that Tucker made, Tucker hearing that and wanting to feed 
the masses made 35 of them. So the math on that comes out to somewhere around 17,500 cans of Chunky uh, that were donated to the Maryland Food Bank. So uh, Longhorn legend Justin Tucker kicks balls and also kicks hunger. I am really, really impressed that you dropped a kick hunger. I'm not impressed that you didn't make any sort of Chunky Max bacon and bison references or whatever other Campbell soup mushroom and Swiss burger. I don't know. What's, what's a good chunky soup flavor. I've literally, I don't think ever had a can of chunky soup. Really? Uh, man, I, I used to love, I, I guess it was their beef stew. Campbell's chunky beef stew and just these big chunky beef in there, uh, with, Would the, make with sense. the potatoes. Yeah. With the potatoes in there, just real hearty, you know, they had a big chicken noodle similarly, like big bites, you know, it feels chunky. Uh, I, I did eat some, some chunky soup. Uh, I don't remember. I think they even had a tortilla soup. I don't remember, but, uh, it, it's good stuff. Check it out. This, uh, and also hit us up camels. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast. Yeah. Goodridge's were never soup people, but I will take free cans of soup all day. So my bang the drum, this week is on a Twitter account that has more followers than us. Currently. I said, currently CFB home. They're a kind of college football news aggregator. They got a posted a analysis piece. I guess the best way, I don't know, based on what analysis or whose analysis or whose backside they pulled this from, but they named Texas as the number two, most likely team to disappoint based on ESPN's 2019 preseason rankings. So here's what I'm going to say about this. The 2018 Texas Longhorns were a team that seemed to thrive when they were underdogs, when they were thought to be outmatched and outclassed. And the players' responses to this this tweet hopefully kind of reinforce that. You have a lot of players retweeting this. John Burt retweeted the aforementioned fast man saying, I see you. I love that a team that's coming off the most successful season in approximately, what, seven, eight years, 10 years, still has a chip on its shoulder. That they're finding ways to feel slighted Mm-hmm. And they're finding ways to turn that into motivation with spring practice just a few weeks away. A team that's honestly expected to compete for a big 12 championship still feeling overlooked warms the part of my heart that loves players with chips on their shoulder and loves players finding ways to be petty with their success. Because I guarantee you when and if Texas wins a conference championship, that's going to be the first thing they retweet when Tom Herman mm-hmm. lets them get back on Twitter at the end of the season. That's going to be the first thing. I mean, this is this is a 40 acres full of at freezing gold takes just waiting to retweet that. I mean, it, this is mana from the heavens that Nick Saban wishes he could get. Every coach of a good team wants to still be able to coach them like they're an underdog. Like, there's no better situation in sports. You get people with a with a chip on their shoulder, with a bulletin board material, with anger in their in their in their bellies. Um, but they're also a team that's one of the best teams in the country. That's perfect. You can't ask for any more. Like, thank you, CFB Home. Um, I did check them out. They also listed the top ten players, fastest players in college football, as a direct. Uh, steal from Bleacher Report. They credited but didn't actually tag the the account. Um, and in that uh, tweet right after this one, they did have Devin DuVernay and John Burt in the top 10. So at least there's that. They're not entirely Texas biased. Yeah, here's the thing. 
the fact that John Burt wasn't in the top five on that tweet is the reason why I didn't mention it because the guy literally ran 80 meters while jumping over stuff in less than eight seconds. Seems good. I can't run from one end to my house in eight seconds <laughs> and I have a small house. I can't do it. So the fact that he ran 80 meters while jumping over things in less than eight seconds, whatever, you can miss me with that analysis air quotes because I I'm not buying into it, but that's all the vitriol and pettiness we have for you this week. Kyle, where could the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn pod. Choose an email Longhorn Republic pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening in again this week. And until next time, hook them, hook them. Como la flor.